tonight's actually uh, a part of this series where we, we will go through kind of what, what really is the core of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and that's uh, the, what are called the antitheses. Um, a thesis is a statement that somebody makes, um, and then an antithesis is when somebody says, no, that's wrong, or I disagree with it, or, right, so Jesus is going to lay out six times a statement uh, he's going to say, you've heard it said by people in the old days that something is true. And then he's going to say, but what I say is, and then he's going to go beyond it or disagree with what was said, which is why those statements are called the antitheses. Um, so let, let's just back up for a moment and follow the, the path of the logic of the sermon uh, from the beginning to where we are now. Uh, first of all, it begins with a description uh, of the kind of people who populate the kingdom of heaven, right? The, this is the section that we call the Beatitudes. Um, and he, he goes through and he says, uh, it's full of people who are poor in spirit. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who do thung, her, hunger and thirst after righteousness because they'll be filled. So he gives a series of sayings about who, what, what the character of people who filled the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, and... That those statements, uh, as we've explored before in previous weeks, are exactly the opposite of what you would think that they would be, right? You would think that the, the kingdom of heaven would be filled with the rich, uh, with those who've already received justice or already executed justice, with not with those who are merciful, but with those who are not, right? Think about the, the, um, the ways of the kingdoms of men from the beginning of time to the present day. Uh, and the kind of people who are in the kingdom of heaven, the winners there are the opposite of the winners in our everyday lives. Uh, and Dominic Crossan, who's a, 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 he's a Jesuit monk and a, a theologian, he, he calls the kingdom of heaven a kingdom of nobodies. Uh, and so if you're sitting there listening to Jesus on the side of the mountain uh, of the, mountain of the Beatitudes, uh, you, uh, two things might happen. One is, Right? It's, it's a weird opening pitch, right? You might be thinking, well, why would I want to be included in a kingdom that is uh, full of hungry, poor, mourning people? Uh, but what, what is happening in your mind as you are listening to it is, gosh, that sounds a lot like me, right? Um, and, and this guy is, he's offering something to people like me. It's not just for the winners. Um, so second... Um, and then he, he ends with the stunning pronouncement that if you listen to me, they will persecute you. If you're the kind of person who lives in the kingdom of heaven, if you listen to these sayings of mine and you do what I say, you'll be persecuted just like the prophets were persecuted. Uh, and if you know how the prophets were persecuted, that like it doesn't sound pleasant, right? Like they rarely came to a good end. Uh, and so you uh, listening to this, you, right, he, uh, you, you might say, well, what, what is, th this is a real bad opening pitch, sir. Uh, I don't know if I'm agreeing with, I don't know if I want to follow you if uh, all these bad things are going to happen to me and then also I'm going to be persecuted. Um, and then he says, right, uh, let your light so shine before men that they, they see your good works and they glorify your Father who's in heaven. So follow the logic, right? Not, not only are you going to be persecuted, but also you can't hide it. You can't, you, you can't act like you don't follow me. You have to go out. To, you, you, uh, 
right? A, sh- a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for, right? He's saying you might be tempted n- not to, to reveal yourself as one of my followers, not to do the good works that are required of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, not to bring the kingdom life into this present age, uh, because then you'll avoid persecution. But that's not what you're for. That's not what you're here to do, and that's not what following me means. So he, he uses this metaphor of salt and light to encourage his followers. Uh, act like my followers. Uh, follow the, uh, the ethic that I am providing to you, and let, let it be not just an, an internal thing, but, external, but, but let it... Uh, flow out of you into external action. Remember, one of the key, um, the key words or key concepts of this whole sermon is teleos, or wholeness, or perfection. Uh, and that means something has teleos if it is the same on the inside as it is on the outside, right? And so uh, Jesus is kind of coming at it from both ends, right? You, you can't just internally be my follower, it has, to, it has to pour out of you into external action. By the same token, you can't, and we're going to talk about this a lot more as we deal with the antitheses tonight, you can't just engage in external action, right? You can't say, well, I didn't kill anybody, right? <laughs> it's not, that's not enough, right? You have to have a heart that is um, perfect or that perfect in the sense that it's the same. It matches your external action. Uh, I can't live every day of my life with horrible, horrible hatred of like Bill Fenwick. And I, I wouldn't, of course, because Bill's delightful, but um, I, I can't pass by him every day and think if, if, if a thought would kill him, he'd be dead a thousand times over um, and yet say, well, I never murdered him. Uh, that's, that's not teleos, that's not perfection. That's not, having, that's not being the same on the inside as you are on the outside. Uh, and this is something the prophets condemned, right? Uh, Isaiah, uh, back in the book of Isaiah, uh, one of God's chief complaints against the children of Israel is, you say and do all the right things, but you, you do it in, in this way that is totally empty. Your heart is not with me. Um, and I don't, I don't want your sacrifices or your, uh, your devotion rites. If, if they're not, you can follow the Old Testament to the letter, uh, but if your heart is not in it, I, that's not what I want. That's not what God desires from his people. So after he says that, right, um, if I can read my own handwriting, uh, he, he then announces, right, that he hasn't come to replace the law and the prophets. And that's where we're going to start tonight in verse 17. Um, chapter 5, verse 17 of uh, Matthew. And guys, I, Josiah, I don't know if you have the ability to display this on the screen or not uh, in real time, but if you do, that'd be great. And if you don't, that's also okay. We can follow along. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what it means in Matthew for something to be fulfilled, right? Fulfillment is one of the chief themes of Matthew. The, uh, Matthew's always saying, uh, such, uh, thus and such was done so that it might be fulfilled what the prophet said in Isaiah or Micah or Hosea or elsewhere, right? Continually, he's, he's um, uh, pointing back to how things are fulfilled. Uh, and we talked a, a couple weeks ago about how sometimes that means, yeah, the thing that was said in the prophets literally came true in Matthew, and sometimes it doesn't. 
right? Sometimes it means something else. Uh, and what I'm going to propose to you here is that as we go through the antithesis tonight, the, these six sayings of Jesus, what you're going to see is that he takes, he takes the Old Testament law and he makes it deeper. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. He's like, the, these laws are written, um, and gosh, I, I wish I had the slide from a, a few weeks ago, but uh, remember I, I talked about the difference between a, an ethics or a morality that is based on duty, right? Like, um, if you, I, I had the little slide that said, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with girls that do, right? That, if that's the principle, right, and there are rules that say that, oh, well, then I'll be punished if I don't, if I don't follow the rules, right? That's, there's a law that says don't smoke and don't chew, so I won't. That, that's different, right, than a, uh, a, a virtue ethic, which says, well, I'm going to teach you to take care of your body and to care about your life and to care about the course of your life. And when you do that and you're confronted with the, the, uh, the option to smoke or chew or hang out with girls that do, uh, you'll say, no, I, I don't want to do that. I care about, right, you've, you've become the kind of person who doesn't do that. Uh, and you're not doing it because there's a rule or a duty not to. You're doing it because you have this idea in your head of the type of person that you are. Um, and, and what I'm going to suggest to you is that in these passages, what Jesus is doing is he's taking a, a, rule, a, a set of rules that's articulated in the Old Testament. Remember, Paul says in Galatians, the law was our schoolmaster, right? The law taught us what God wanted or what God considered moral behavior. But that's not, in, it's not enough to not just follow the rules. To be a real citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have to be the kind of person that wants to, right? You have to be the kind of person who understands what's behind the law, what stands behind it and how you're to treat others and live in community with with. Uh, each other and with the world. Uh, and when you do that, you become the kind of person who wants to follow the law. So uh, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, so I, I, what I will say is the Bible comes to completion in Christ and then teaches his, his disciples how to live. Right? That's the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell. Um, and, and so this deepening uh, of the law in these six antitheses is is the core of what he's teaching in many ways, right? He's, he's taking the law and he's transforming it into wisdom and he's transforming it into a description of the kind of person who brings the, who, uh, brings the kingdom of heaven forward from the end of time into the present day, right? Because Jesus says, he says, the kingdom is coming, but also it's here right now in you, right? It's your job to bring it forward. So let's uh, dive in. Two. We just read verse 17. I'm sorry, I forgot my glasses, folks. Uh, so he says in verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. I talked a little bit about how the, uh, the initial pitch is, is kind of bad, if you're thinking about it as like a Jesus trying to get people to follow him. 
uh, it goes from bad to worse here, right? Because the Pharisees are the good guys. They're the guys who deeply studied the law and know every, everything about it. Uh, they, they want to follow, the, they, they have a passionate desire to follow the law. We, we tend to think of the Pharisees as being very legalistic, and they were. But that, in this era and this age, that makes them the good guys, because right? other people don't care about following the law. They, they do. They care enough about it to dedicate their life to its study uh, and to want to follow it. They, they would do things like, the, there's a prohibition in the Old Testament against eating insects, that they were so careful that they would use uh, like a cloth and pour, pour their water through, through the cloth into a, a, whatever the, their drinking vessel was. So there was no chance they would eat an insect. Right, like that, even an accidental violation of the law was something that they wanted to avoid in every case. And so when, when Jesus comes into conflict with them, and we're going to get to this next week, uh, when he comes into conflict with them, it, it's because he's saying um, the law is not enough. The law is not enough. He's saying what he's saying here. Uh, and, and these are guys who are sold out to the law. That they, they want to follow it. Um, so, verse 21, uh, and, and so, it, it, I'm sorry, in verse 20, if, uh, think of yourself in the crowd, right, the, the Pharisees are the good guys, and Jesus is like, you, you've got to be better than, your moral perfection has to be better than the Pharisees, and you might think, well, gosh, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be a sad, mourning, hungry, thirsty person, and uh, after that happens, I'll be persecuted, and I can't hide what I'm doing. Um, and also, I have to live out a life of moral perfection that's better than the Pharisees. Right? It's, it's almost comical, uh, this, this, the, the way that he's arguing for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, because it's, it's a super bad pitch on its terms, right? It's like, uh, you might be saying as a person in the audience, well, Jesus, where's the upside? When do you get to the good part? Right? When do you get to the part where I get stuff or, or you tell me how, how this is going to improve my life? Verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the thou shalt not kill is the first commandment, right, back in Exodus. Um, and there are multiple places where it says if you, if you murder somebody, you, you'll be held before you'll be held for judgment um so we won't go and, and unpack all of those references um but i say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall in, shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother raka which means something like blockhead uh, or moron uh shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Understand how, um, how radical this is, right? It, if you even get angry, right, you're in danger, right? You're in danger of hellfire. I, I have a nasty temper. I really do. Um, most people here don't see it because n nobody ever makes me angry here. This is my, my happy place. But... Um, this is a verse I think about often, right? It's, it's an entry requirement. Right? He says, you, you, if, you, if you call your brother a fool 
And I call people a lot worse than that in my head. You're in danger of hellfire, he says. And it makes me think, am I the kind of person who is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Uh, And then I pray about it and I keep trying. But this is a warning, right? It's, It's not enough. It's not enough to not kill somebody. You, you have to avoid the anger, right, that, that leads to the sin of murder. Uh, I want you to notice the pattern here, though, because it's the same pattern in each, each one of these antitheses. Uh, one, Jesus quotes from the Bible, right? He's like, he says, you've heard it said by them of old time, that, and then he says whatever it is that was said in, in, in the Old Testament. So one, he quotes the Bible. Two, he interprets, extends, or he counters in some way that quotation, right? He says, you heard, they said before X, and I say Y, and then he expands it a little bit, or he, he comments on it. Three, um, his opposition, right, the, the way that he alters or, or uh, extends it, uh, is against how the scripture has traditionally been interpreted, usually. Um, fourth, Jesus probes behind the scripture, Right? He says, okay, the, this is what it says. What did God mean when he gave this commandment? What is the purpose of the law? Uh, and then he, he turns it, right, and he draws the principle from the mind of God about how to live. Right? So that, that step is always there. One, they said X, I say Y, God meant Z, this is how you should live. That pattern is in each and every one of these antitheses. So let's see what else he says about anger. Um, Therefore, uh, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that, that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now this is hyperbole, right? He's saying, you've, you've brought something to the temple to offer it as a gift, um, and you remember, oh, I got angry at my brother. My brother got angry at me. We're, we're, we have some quarrel between us. He says, drop your gift right there, right? Which is a, a pretty valuable thing that you brought. Drop it right there. Go find him, make up with him, and then come back. It's that important, right? So it's this, this kind of hyperbole or this uh, overstating uh, what you ought to do. It's so important, he says, that you forgive one another and that you be reconciled that you need to stop whatever you're doing at that moment and make it right. Uh, And then he says, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, uh, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Um, so this is another example, right? You're, you're on the way, you're on the courthouse steps. You're on the way to court with your adversary or your opponent who has sued you. Um, has any, I, I hesitate to ask whether anybody's ever been sued. As a lawyer, I've, um, I've never been sued personally, but I've witnessed the human wreckage that a lawsuit leaves behind all too often. Um, and I can tell you it is n- not a fun experience for anybody but the lawyers, um, who are getting paid, um, right? It's, it's not fun, right? There's a lot of acrimony that builds up in the course of a lawsuit. And Christ's advice here is make up with the person on the way, right? Don't get in front of the judge. 
make it right, right now, whatever you're doing. Uh, and so I, I think as we think through this, right, the principle that we can draw out is one, avoid anger, right? That, that just makes sense. Um, but that's going to take some internal work, right? Especially for people like me who get, who get angry pretty easily. Um, it, it means looking at the world uh, and reimagining it as a place where I can forgive people uh, and where I do it. It means sometimes I'm going to have to let people take advantage of me. Uh, and that's unfortunate, right? For uh, people who are, are like myself or others who have a, a strong sense of justice. Sometimes, uh, right, Paul says in Corinthians, it's better to let yourself be defrauded uh, than, to, than to take another Christian to court. Uh, and that's kind of the principle here is, uh, gosh, you need to stop thinking of your rights. You need to stop thinking, right? That, that's where anger ultimately stems from is the idea that somebody has wronged you. Uh, unless you're a psychopath, right? In which case, you get angry all the time. But uh, the idea is y- you need to, to die to self, right? And, and reconcile yourself with the person who is making you angry. It's a hard saying. It's probably the hardest saying in this whole, uh, this whole set of sayings. So second, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Right, so uh, understand the principle here, right? The, the statement is, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? And he says, don't even get to the point where you're approaching adultery. The, the, the modification he makes is, don't even look on somebody with the idea of committing adultery or, or having lust in your heart towards that person because you, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart if you do that. Um, I, I want you to note here, and I'll pause here and, and mention this because I, I think it's an important, uh, important element of this, even if you don't think about the way it kind of modifies the law and deepens it, this is very practical, right? If, if you are, um, it, it prevents you from getting to the place where you commit the sin that's Prescribed by the Old Testament, right? The, the, the time to, to remember don't commit adultery is not when you're in the elevator on the way up to the hotel room, right? That's, that's not the time uh, for you to remember your scriptures and say, oh, you know what? This was probably a big mistake. Uh, the time you should have avoided it was six months before that or a year before that or whenever, right? When, when you, you first allowed yourself to think about it. That, that's the time. Um, the, the time to remember um, uh, thou shalt not commit murder is not when you're standing over the person <laughs> with, with, with a shotgun. It's a year before that when they did something that, that upset you. Um, it, right? It's, this is extremely practical advice regardless of uh, what it does theologically, and I'm, I'm arguing that it does something very deep theologically. It changes the, the Old Testament law in this fundamental way. But even if it didn't, 
think about how practical it is to just avoid the problem in the first place. Third, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. This is also a hard saying. Uh, One of the things that you have to know here uh, to understand the context of these verses is that divorce was a huge issue uh, in Jesus' time uh, within Judaism. It was a, uh, there were two schools uh, of thought about it, um, and uh, there was a conservative side that's, we would call them conservative, uh, although that is not super meaningful when you're describing ancient history, but uh, they would have said, no divorce ever. That's, that's, divorce is a sin all, at all times. And then there was another group that said, well, it's right there in the law, right? Moses says, just write out a, writing a divorcement and give it to her and you're divorced. Um, and so these two sides, right, were, they were, it's very similar in some ways to like the abortion debate in our own, our own culture, right? It's like this, this heightened uh, or elevated temperature around the debate happened all the time. People argued about it constantly. You'll, you'll notice that one of the questions that they asked Jesus, that the Pharisees asked Jesus is uh, about, is a, they ask him about divorce. They ask him about marriage. They ask him about uh, who's, who's married to whom after the, um, at, you know, in, in the coming kingdom. Like they, they have questions about this because it's something on their mind. It's something that, that they are trying to process through themselves. Let's turn uh, quickly to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, uh, which is what Jesus is quoting. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Remember what Deuteronomy is. It's Moses uh, at the end of his life on the plains of Jericho. And he's telling a new generation of, of um, Jewish people or Israelites um, who they are and where they came from and what the law is. Right? That's the purpose of Deuteronomy is him sitting down and giving the law. Um, when a man hath taken a wife, so this is verse 1, and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, that unlucky lady, and giveth, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin." which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Um, and if we were to turn elsewhere in Matthew, we, we would see Jesus talking to the, uh, the Pharisees, uh, and he says, Moses wrote that because you were weak. <laughs> right? He says, uh, Moses put that in the law, or he announced it in Deuteronomy, because you refused to follow what, what God's law really is. Don't put away your wife for anything. Uh, unless it's uh, uh, sexual infidelity. Uh, and that's the rule he announces here, uh, right? He says, um, 
But I say unto you, uh, verse 32, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Um, the, right, the, 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 kind, the character of, of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is the kind of character that sticks with it. Uh, un- unless something very dire has happened. Uh, and that's, that's a hard saying, uh, as I, I keep telling you about all of these. Um, one note here uh, is that the word fornication has been the subject of a huge amount of debate. Um, like, what, what, I, I guess anytime you give people a rule, they want to, everybody becomes like a lawyer and they want to define it, right? It's like when uh, Jesus says in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's like, you, ha- every, you have to love your neighbor. And the, the lawyer's there and he says, well, who's my neighbor? Right, because he wants to love as few people as possible is the, the kind of the implication. Um, right, everybody wants to kind of pick out a phrase and, and understand it. So fornication is something that gets debated fairly frequently in the scholarship. Um, and some, some scholars have even looked at the word and said, well, it just means incest. Imagine that. Like, uh, the only reason that you could, in that person's estimation, that you could ever obtain a divorce was if your wife committed incest, which must happen not very often, right? I hope, yeah. Um, and then others, uh, I think the, the more widely accepted opinion is that it means sexual infidelity, um, which is what I think it means. Um, in any event, uh, this is a, a drastic narrowing of the rule, right, that, that um, is articulated in Deuteronomy. Because that, that's actually pretty liberal. You just have to give her a writing that you, you wrote, um, a bill of divorcement, and, and you're divorced. Um, and, but Jesus says that's not, that's not the character and the heart of a person who lives in the kingdom of heaven. So let's go to the next section, which is verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than those cometh of evil. And let's step back again to Deuteronomy. And we're going to go to chapter 23, uh, verse 21, uh, which is where this quote is found, uh, this saying is found. By the way, do, do you remember who I said uh, in the second week? Um, uh, the, the way that the story is framed up, right? Jesus dis, uh, ascends to a mountain and gives a new law. Do you remember who I said he was emulating? It's Moses, right? He's the new Moses. Notice that everything he's quoting is written by or about Moses or is spoken by Moses, everything. Right? That, that, there's a, a deep design in Matthew and in the Sermon on the Mount, that is about Jesus being the new Moses. He's, he's deepening Moses' teachings. So 23, verse 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be a sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin to thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform. 
even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. So, uh, fairly straightforward, right? The idea that if you swear a thing or you say you're going to do a thing, you ought to do it, right? That's, uh, and in the specific context of, of Deuteronomy, it's if you say you're going to give a free, if you are not obligated to give an offering to God and you say, I'm going to give you something, God, don't then change your mind, right? Do, do what you said you would do. If you swear an oath to God. That, that seems very obvious to us. Um, and, but Jesus' teaching, it goes beyond that. And it says, don't swear at all. Uh, and historically in the church, this has been used by a, a bunch of different denominations and, and you know, different people to say we shouldn't, we shouldn't do things like say the Pledge of Allegiance uh, or um, you, you shouldn't sign a promissory note, right? Like a, a mortgage because that's, that's an oath, right? You're, you're saying that you're going to do something and then you need to execute on it. And Jesus says here, don't do that. Or Jesus says here, don't swear an oath. Um, and his reasoning is also interesting, right? You, it, um, you're not in control of everything, he says. You can't make one hair on your head white or black, so don't swear by your head. Um, the city of Jerusalem is greater than you. It's the footstool of the, it's the city of the great king. So don't, don't swear by that. You don't have any control over it. So, um, and then the, this last saying, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Be plain spoken. Right? A person who lives in the kingdom of heaven speaks plainly. He speaks plainly and he does what he says. Right? And, and doesn't overpromise or underpromise or make, or make many, many oaths at all. Next up, forgiveness. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy, on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Boy, that's hard too, right? The idea that somebody would strike you uh, and you would not retaliate. This, this is amongst the hardest sayings of Jesus, I think. The, the idea that, uh, right, because your, your flesh cries out for an eye, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Amen. Right? Always. Uh, <laughs> always. Um, it's, uh, it's our natural gut reaction uh, is to respond to hurt in kind. Um, and, and the saying here, the teaching is, forget about yourself. Right? You're an emissary of the kingdom of heaven. That's, I, I didn't say it was easy, right? There's a reason why, why 2,000 years of scholars and readers of this sermon have tried to say, well, maybe it doesn't apply to me, right? Because you, you'd rather it didn't uh, when you read something like this. Um, notice uh, the, the, the three things, uh, the, the three scenarios that he gives here. Um, one, he says, resist not evil in general, right? And then he says, uh, that's the general rule. Whoever hits you on your right cheek, give, offer him the other. That's clear, but hard, right? Or difficult to put into practice. It says, if any man will sue thee of the law and take away thy coat, get, right, if anybody wants to take away your, the, the, 
your overcoat, well, give him your suit coat also, right? Give him the thing that's under your coat as well. Um, boy, you really have to, you have to think about giving up your rights, right? Giving up your assertions about what you deserve. It's incredibly hard. Um, and then the third one, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile. So in uh, territories that were owned by the Romans, uh, that is the entire ancient world almost, uh, a legionary could cause you, uh, so a legionary is a, a Roman soldier, um, he could compel you to carry his equipment for a mile. Um, and like just anybody, uh, if he met you and he was tired of carrying his equipment, he could say, here, citizen, or uh, not citizen, uh, carry this for a mile for me, and you would have to do it. Um, and it's saying, right, when the government comes to you and says, an unjust government comes to you and says, you have to do X, you go the extra mile, you literally go the extra mile. That's hard too, right? Because we are uh, inundated in our culture uh, with the idea that we, right, our, our constitution or our, um, our declaration of independence said, right, men have certain inalienable rights, right? granted by God, of course, but we think a lot about our rights. We think a lot about who we are and what we deserve. Um, and it's, it's hard to get into the mindset that Jesus is, is teaching here, which is don't think about yourself first. I, like I said, uh, this is a, 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 an incredibly hard set of sayings. And then finally, teachings on forgiveness. You've heard that it has been said, oh, I'm sorry, uh, next one, uh, love for your enemies. Ye have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Do you see what he did there? So if you go back and you look at the verses uh, that are throughout the Old Testament that say things like love your neighbor, not, none of them say hate your enemy. Not like that, that, that commandment is not, in, the commandment to hate your enemy is not in the Old Testament. So Jesus is adding a wrinkle, right? He's saying, You've heard it said, right? People say, love your neighbor. Um, but also, that what they mean by that is love only your neighbor and, and then go out and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Don't, even a lawyer, he says. Um, even a lawyer uh, loves people who love him. And if you salute your, brother, your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And we talked about this idea of perfection as being teleos right? You're the same on the inside as you are on the outside. And it, so I want to sum up here, but, and then I want to give an example going back to the adultery issue. Uh, your, your heart, right? That all of these are techniques that aren't just practical. They're about creating a mindset and a viewpoint uh, and a, a state of being inside of you where you are cultivating the virtue that will lead you to understand or to, to not commit the sins that are prescribed in the Old Testament, they will make you a certain kind of person. 
And that is the kind of person who is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and brings its life into this present age. Um, just uh, kind of, uh, I, I read something about the adultery command in here that just blew my mind. Um, I, I, we, are, we have been blessed. I'm, obviously, I'm not Catholic. Nobody here is Catholic. But um, we've been blessed over the course of, of most of our lifetimes to have uh, popes who write a lot of theology that is actually pretty good uh, and that we can agree with. Um, and uh, John Paul II, uh, who of course was two popes ago, he wrote a brilliant homily, which is like a, a little sermon, uh, about the passage that's about adultery here. Uh, and his argument, uh, which never would have occurred to me, uh, is that it is possible for a man to commit adultery with his own wife. Uh, and the reason that he gives uh, is that what lies behind the commandment, right, is the idea that you would see every person that you meet as made in the image of God, as, an, as a, a, a beautiful imager of, of who God is, that you would not treat them as an object, right? And so his contention was, if, if you are married to a person um, and your perception of them is that they are an object for you to sate your lust with, that's just as bad as if you weren't married to them at all. You're treating them like an object and not as a partner and a helpmeet that God has given you. Um, and boy, I, I just read that and it, it um, struck a nerve with me. And I thought, how many people do I meet in my life where I, I don't see them, uh, where, where I am not acting like I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, uh, where I am not seeing them as an imager of God? Uh, man, it's, it's just incredibly difficult. Uh, it's... I keep, I keep using the word, it's a hard, the, the sentence, it's a hard saying, and it is, right? But if, if you go through life thinking of other people as being made in the image of God, it becomes much harder to get angry at them, much harder to get angrier, at, so angry at them that you can't give it up. It becomes much harder uh, to be lustful. It becomes much harder to treat them in ways that disrespect them and take the life of the kingdom uh, and abuse it. Um, so that's, that's the antithesis. Uh, next week, we're going to move on to uh, teachings on giving and alms and uh, prayer and some other things. Um, this is the core of the message, right? Is that in, in order to be a, uh, a, the kind of pe person who lives in the kingdom of heaven, you have to cultivate these virtues. Um, and it, it involves uh, deepening your understanding of the law, seeing what's behind it, uh, and executing that in the ways that Jesus describes.